Well, we're going to talk about the power of communion. And I want to start with a little bit of a test because I want you to be aware of how powerful communion is. Now, those of you who are in the huddle, you already know the answers to this, so you're not, you're exempt. But here's our test. Jesus was uh, baptized in the River Jordan. The Holy Spirit came on him. And then immediately, uh, Jesus, or the Spirit, drove him, the Bible says, into the wilderness. Now, that was a good introduction to the Spirit-filled life. Said, okay, now that you're Spirit-filled, instead of exposing you to people, we've got to send you into the wilderness. We're going to let you be hungry for 40 days and 40 nights. And so that occurred. But Jesus' first encounter with the devil after being filled with the Spirit, his first encounter with the devil, the subject, the topic was a lack of something that had to be filled or that needed to be filled. What was the lack? What was missing in his first temptation? The uh, Lucifer said to him, uh, hey, um, uh, you look hungry. What was missing? Bread. Bread was missing. And so his first official act as a spirit-filled believer was to deal with the topic of bread. All right, now we're talking about communion, okay? All right, second thing. Jesus, is, his, uh, his first miracle was dealing with the lack of something. What was that? The wedding feast? Wine. His first official act in, in encountering the devil after being filled with the Spirit his first official miracle had to do with bread and wine. That simply gives us the priority that's set on communion. So if you're one of these folks who have thought that communion is just this, this, uh, this, dead, uh, this, this dead ritual that we do every now and then that really doesn't mean anything, you need to raise it on your, high, on your priority list because Jesus recognized it as extremely high priority. And if I can go into those experiences a little bit, when Jesus encountered Lucifer in the temptation, Lucifer, Lucifer immediately went after the fact that he was hungry. And so he said, why don't you turn these, these stones into bread? Now, heaven speaks a little different language from the language that we speak because these two people who were inhabitants of heaven in eternity past or eternity uh, the, uh, ahead of this time, they have been together in eternity. They both know that the plan for the eternal redemption of man had to do with Jesus as the redeemer of the earth. And they both knew, Jesus knew and Lucifer knew, what Jesus' assignment was when he came to earth. They knew that Jesus' assignment was to develop on earth a habitation for God, to build a dwelling place for God so that God could inhabit the earth, so that mankind could worship God on the earth. And Lucifer knew that, listen now, this is the code that's behind this. Lucifer knew that he was going to build the habitation of God out of living stones, right? And so, his, so Luc when Jesus uh, showed up, Lucifer's first attack on him was, okay, big guy, you got an assignment. Let's see you do your assignment now because I have defiled all of your living stones. I introduced sin into the world, and now sin and transgression of man has brought death on every one of these potential living stones. You have nothing to work with. He knew that Jesus' hunger 
was not physical bread made out of dough. He knew that Jesus had not yet articulated it, but Lucifer knew in John 4. See, I'm believing all this, so if you, if you, you can agree or disagree. But in John 4, Jesus said to the disciples, my bread is to do the will of him that sent me and finish his work. And Lucifer is saying, you will never be satisfied with the bread that really means something to you because I have defiled all the living stones that you're going to build the habitation of God with. That's the heavenly language behind what was being said in that little conversation. Now, Jesus' response was, all right, then, you, you know, here, Jesus had this habit. When things got really tight, Jesus would pull out the I am statement. And so Jesus says, well, man does not live by bread alone. You don't understand this. He said, man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And guess who I am? I am every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I will bring life to these stones. And so Jesus presented himself now. Jesus, when, when there is a lack, Jesus does not supply the lack. He becomes the lack. I will be that, that chief cornerstone that will build this temple, and this temple will be built. And Lucifer knew he had lost round one. Now let's look into the, let's look into the first miracle. Jesus shows up at the wedding feast, and his mother says, we have no wine. Now that sounds like, oh, well, the guests are going to be disappointed, I guess, because they're not going to have any wine. It's a whole lot more than that. Listen to the language. Listen to the code. It's a whole lot more than that. Because in the Jewish wedding, the wine is the wedding. The wine is the covenant. And if the wine is not there, the covenant does not happen. If the covenant does not happen, then the marriage does not happen. And again, this is a situation that is dire because if there is no wine, there will be no marriage. The whole thing is defeated for the lack of wine. And Jesus answers by what? Now, he's pushed into this thing again. And so when things get tight, what does Jesus do? He reverts to the I am. So what did Jesus say? He turned to the servants and he said, fill these water pots up with wine. There were six water pots. Six is the number of humanity. He says, we're going to start working on humanity. Humanity is without wine. Humanity has no, has no hope of a covenant. So we got to go to work on this right now in his first miracle. And so he says, fill the water pots with water. Water is symbolic of the spirit and the word of God. Fill the water pots with the water, the spirit and the word. You remember Jesus saying, if you will preach the gospel to every living creature, I will pour out my spirit on, on all flesh. You remember Jesus saying, you give the word, I'll give, the, I'll give, the, I'll give the, the spirit. And when the word and the spirit come into a human vessel, listen, when the word and the spirit come into a human vessel, what happens? When the word and the spirit comes into a human vessel, there is spirit life. Spirit life is represented by wine. So when the, when the water, the word, and the spirit poured into humanity, then spirit life came in those six vessels, representing what, what happened there on a spiritual level. On a physical level, they had a lot of wine. On the, on the physical level, on the spiritual level, the, on the spiritual level, spirit life has just been introduced to the world, to humanity, represented by the six water pots. Those six water pots represented you and me, every human being who would ever show up on planet Earth. And the principle was established, the law was established. When you pour word and spirit into a human being, he comes alive with the spirit life of God. 
And so that's what communion is about. When we serve communion, we're talking about, we're talking about spirit life. We're talking about humanity coming alive and becoming the habitation of God. And we're talking about a marriage feast covenant between man, between God and man that brings spirit life. And so communion is pretty important, all right? It's not a dead ritual. It is powerful, and it's important. Now, one more question. What was the last thing? Remember the Apostle Paul, one of the most dramatic things in Paul's life was that was the 27th chapter of Acts, that's that, that uh, trip that he took on his way to Rome. Why was God sending Paul to Rome? In fact, the Bible says, there's, the Bible says that it was imperative. Paul has got to get to Rome. Why was it important for Paul to get to Rome? Because what happened after Paul got to Rome? The gospel was introduced to Rome, and guess what? The, the, the Christian center, the Christian capital of the world became Rome. So it was important for Paul to get there because he was the one seed that was planted in Rome that brought Rome into Christianity. And to this day, Rome represents what? Christianity. I know it gets messed up along the way religion does does that humanity does that but it's there and it happened all right the last now on that shipwreck it ended up on that ship that ocean trip it ended up in a wreck what was the last thing that happened before the wreck now they were about to wreck Paul gets a prophetic revelation from an angel that you're going to wreck it's going to be rough it's going to be bad and so Paul gathers everybody together in the ship now, over a period of time, Paul went on that ship in chains and shackles. He was a prisoner, and he was put down in the bottom of that ship. By the end of the trip, Paul was in charge of that ship. That's what God does with an apostolic anointing. Apostleship is, an, is a governing is a governing anointing. And so Paul, so by the end of this thing, Paul's calling the shots. They've been two weeks in the storm. I hadn't seen the sun in, in two weeks. Haven't even had time to eat them because they've been fighting this storm and trying to uh, make the vessel survive. Finally, after two weeks, Paul calls everybody together, and they did it. He said, I want to see everybody on the ship, and they did it because he is in charge because they're recognizing the only, pre only person in this ship who has any authority, any power is this man, this, this, this apostle of God. So Paul calls them all together. Now, the estimates are, the different, the different interpretations of the Bible, the, the, the estimates are between 150 and 276. I don't know where that comes from. It's a pretty specific number. But between those numbers is how many people were on that ship. So there was between 150 and 276 people on that ship, the scholars tell us. Paul called them all together. They all came together. Listen, he took out some bread. And the Bible says he broke bread. Now, the, the code language is beginning to show up, right? He took out bread, and he began to break bread. Now, what's Paul doing? And he says this message to them. He said, what I'm about to do is for your survival. That's a, the, I think it's about verse 19, 20, Acts 27, 19. He said that what I'm about to do is for your survival because not a hair of your head is going to be lost. Because of what I'm about to do for you, you're not going to, nobody's going to die. There'll be no loss of life. There will be no injuries, and not a hair of your head will be lost. That's a promise I missed in the Bible. We're going to have to, have to learn, have to, to quote that scripture a little more. And, and so, Paul, so, so, so Paul called everybody together. He took bread. He broke it. The Bible says he broke it. And then he prayed over it. The word that says he prayed over it, he blessed it, is the word Eucharistia for you Catholics. The word Eucharistia, 
which is the verb of the word Eucharist, which is a word that's commonly used to represent, even today to represent, represent the Lord's Supper. He took communion with them. He passed communion out. He said communion is going to bring about, is going to, is going to ensure your survival. <clears throat> it's going to ensure that not a hair of your head. Are you feeling better about communion already? Not a hair of your head will be lost. <clears throat> now communion was instituted, uh, was instituted in the 12th chapter of of, uh, so let's go quickly through kind of the history of communion. Instituted in the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus. We're not going to read there, but we are going to read in a moment from Psalms 105. If you want to, if you want to turn there. But was, was inaugurated in, in Exodus chapter 12 with the Passover meal. And the Passover was provided so that Israel could be, would be set free from bondage to Egypt and would, go, and would start their trek across the wilderness into the promised land. God set them free by communion. Communion set them free. Or the Lord, or Passover, which eventually in the New Testament evolved into communion, set them free from the bondage to Egypt. Here's what the Bible says about them. I'm jumping through a lot of history, uh, but here's what the Bible says in Psalms 105 describing their exit. Psalms 105 verses 39 and then 30, uh, 37 and then 39 through 41. And it says, it says this, it says, He brought them forth with silver and with gold. These were slaves. But he worked out a miracle. You'll have to read about it yourself how he did it. He worked out a miracle. So they literally took all of the gold and silver of Egypt with them. And, and there were two and a half to four, there were estimated two and a half to four million people trekking across that wilderness. Now that's the, that is somewhere between the, the population of Houston and the combined population of Houston and Dallas together. That's a lot of people. Somewhere between two and a half and four million people. Now, it says that he, that, that he brought them forth with silver and gold. So all of these slaves, when they stepped out of Egypt, were instantly rich people. Every one of them was rich. He brought them forth with silver and with gold. And there was not, listen to this, there was not one feeble among their tribe. There wasn't a sick person. Imagine Dallas and Houston combined with not a sick person in town, not a feeble person in town. And there was not, there were, uh, there were no, no feeble among them. Among, their, among his tribes. Now, he, when he says among his tribes, that means if you went tribe by tribe, you would not find a feeble person. <clears throat> and then he goes on to say, verse 39, said he spread a cloud for a covering. They're in the desert now where the sun is hot. He spread a cloud for, listen to this, no sunburns. He spread a cloud for a covering and he gave fire to give the light in the night. So they had they had, fire, they had thermal, thermostatic control of the, of the, of the weather. And um, now listen, I'm reading the word of God. This is the Bible. It's in your Bible. The people asked, and he brought quail and satisfied them with, with bread from, from heaven. A nutrition specialist from Houston diagnosed all this or went through and, and analyzed their meal. He said they had, when they had meat, it was, it, was, uh, it was lean poultry and everything else they ate. He analyzed the descriptions of manna. It was complex carbohydrates. He said they had lots of exercise and they had lean meat and complex carbohydrates. These are some healthy people. <laughs> all right. He satisfied them with, and then the bread from heaven was, uh, was a manna. And then he opened a rock and water gushed out. It ran in dry places like a river. So, uh, so water came out of a rock to water him. And it says it, it, it ran in dry places, plural, 
that uh, combined with with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10 verse 4 say, uh, implies that the rock followed them through the wilderness providing water for them every day dry place is not a right not dry place and Jewish tradition goes along with that like a river seven blessings that came from the Passover remember what the Passover is it's the predecessor of communion seven blessings that came from Passover slash communion prosperity health victory over their enemy uh, protection from the weather uh, light uh, light in darkness divine guidance and abundance of supplies to meet their physical needs Seven blessings that came from the Passover. What happened to those blessings? Well, the new covenant is better than the old. And so you got at least those seven blessings and more because of the communion. Are you with me so far? Is communion looking a little better to you? All right, so now let's go, to, let's go into, the, uh, into the, new, <clears throat> the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11... Uh, the Apostle Paul, is he's just getting all over these Corinthians. I mean, he's chewing them out. He's threatening them. I'm going to come and see you, and whether you like it or don't like it when I show up is <clears throat> going to depend on whether or not you fix these issues, of, these issues that are going on. And then he states an obser observance that he has made of, of, uh, of, of the Corinthians. He says, you guys are getting sick. Y'all are getting weak and you're dying prematurely. Why would that stand out to him? Because, because if I go back and read the early chapters of Acts, I will, get the, I will begin to get the idea that sickness and premature death was not common in the early church. Because they had a covenant that, a covenant that involved healing and long life. You know, as far as I'm concerned, when the church really, when the church really, when we learn to live like the church, the insurance companies will have a separate actuarial table for us, and we'll pay less for health insurance because we don't get sick. Oh, you're, oh, you're a believer in Jesus. Okay, well, let's get this book out. All right. All right, but see, that was, that was the character of the early church. They were getting healed. But he said, you people are not getting healed. And here's why. Because you're misapplying communion. He said, there's divisions among you. He said, the rich and the, and the poor are divided. The Jews and the Gentiles are provided. The, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, business owners and the laboring class, y'all are dividing over everything. And because you're dividing, when you take communion, you're reaping, uh, uh, you're reaping judgment instead of a blessing. Because, listen, because you are not discerning the body of Christ. Their whole sin. Now, some people teach this and they say, hey, if there's sin in your life, don't take communion because you'll bring judgment on yourself. That's not what it's saying. The judgment is not coming on them because there's, quote, sin in their life. Judgment's coming on them because there are divisions in the body. It's very specific in chapter 11. In fact, if there's sin in your life, communion is how you break the authority of that sin. It's not, how you, it's not something you run from. And so, see, sin in the life of, of the Israelites is why they took the Passover. It fixed the issue of sin. All right, now, now, in, now so, so Paul is saying now, you guys are getting sick because you're doing communion wrong. You're not discerning the body of Christ. Now, the rest of the time I have, I want to talk to you about, boy, that's not much time. I want to talk to you about three or at least one or two or three of the, of the, 
uh, the representations of the body of Christ that they're not discerning correctly. Number one, the first thing they're not discerning is the body of Christ as it hung on the cross. They said, you have not figured out what Jesus was doing on the cross. And there's a, there's a scripture in, uh, in, um, in, in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses, uh, verse 17, that talks about the fact that Jesus, and it quotes Isaiah 53, and it talks about the fact that Jesus on the cross redeemed us from sickness and disease, that he became sickness for us. Here's what happened on the cross. Now, let's begin now. I can only give you a little sketch of it. Let's begin now at be correctly discerning what Jesus did on the cross. On the cross, Jesus, first of all, became sin for us. He took all of the sin of mankind for us. He became sin for us, meaning the guilt of every person who ever lived or ever would live fell on Jesus who was guiltless. He received the guilt of the, the, the sin that you feel guilty of right now. Jesus took on him. You don't have to feel guilty of it. You can be forgiven because Jesus took it on him. Your sin went on Jesus on the cross. As a result of that sickness that is the, let's say that sin is the root, sickness is the fruit that grows in a culture of sin. In a culture of sin, sickness becomes Lord. All right, when, your, when sin, was, was sin was pronounced on Jesus, sickness followed it. And Isaiah 50, 52 says that he was marred beyond any man. That means nobody was ever as sick as Jesus was on that cross. So much so that the original language said he didn't even look like a human being. Not only because, because he had been beaten up by these soldiers, but are you ready for this? Because, but because the Bible says God crushed him. Every curse intended for every lawbreaker went on Jesus on that cross. The guilt and the curse that followed the guilt that whatever you have ever thought, man, I wish God would, would have done this to, to Adolf Hitler. He didn't do that to Adolf Hitler because it went on Jesus. Whatever you did wrong, every rapist, every, every murderer, every, 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 uh, every corrupt politician, the sin that all of us performed went on Jesus and then every sickness known to man fell on. Every debilitating, deforming sickness that there is went on Jesus on that cross and his body became marred with every sickness that was ever known to man. He took leprosy on him. He took rheumatoid arthritis on him. He took elephantitis on him and made his limb. He took every disease that would cause problems to any human being on him on that cross. If you don't discern that, then you won't be free from disease. That's why Paul says we must learn to discern the body of Christ and learn what Jesus did on, on that cross for you and me. Second, you're not discerning the power in the body of Christ. You're not discerning what Jesus invested in the church. Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians tells you what, that Jesus invested nine gifts of the Spirit. He invested five, five, uh, five ministry offices. The, uh, along the, with the, the nine gifts of the Spirit, there were three of them that dealt with, the, with our spirit being. Prophecy, tongues, interpretation. There were three that dealt with our mental being, our, our soul. And they were word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. And there were three that took care of our bodies. That's, that's healing, faith, and miracles. If you had, he's Paul saying, if you discern what God put in the body, but when the body is fractured and divided, 
if my, left, if my right arm is, is divided from my body, my right arm will lay there and perish. It will die because it's not connected to the body. If my heart and my liver are not ministering to each other, then there's no blood for my liver and my, heart's, and my blood's not getting filtered. You understand what I'm saying? And when the body is fractured, and Paul is saying, because you're, you have not discerned what the body of Christ is about, you're not getting what the blessings of God provide for you. Third representation of the body of Christ is communion. And he said, you don't understand what you're doing in communion. You're coming together and you're eating gluttonously and you're trying to get ahead of each other. Some of you are trying to get there early so you can get all the good stuff and then the ones who get there late. And he said, you're going to have to stop this and be considerate of one another because you're not discerning your union that will bring healing. Healing comes from the body. Comes from the body of Christ on the cross that redeemed us. Comes from the church. I had a, uh, a, an occasion here a while back where a woman, uh, where uh, another pastor invited me to go with, invited me and Jane to go with her for uh, dinner at a family's house. Got there, that family had it particularly invited, asked for us to come. It was a birthday celebration for, for the daughter of the woman of the house. And she starts this testimony. She says, you know, she said, once she said, she said to me, she said, you and I have a history. I said, really? I didn't know that. I didn't recognize her. And she told Janie and me, she said, uh, she said uh, when I was pregnant, uh, the doctors came in and they prepared me for stillbirth. Told me my child would not survive. And she said, the first thing I thought is, I gotta, I've got to reach the church. She said, I grabbed a phone and I called the church and she said, you answered me. I said, oh, I didn't know I was in this testimony. She said, you answered. And she said, you prayed with me. We hung up. I went into delivery, and she pointed to her daughter. She said, her 37th birthday is today. And what impressed me was this woman who was under medical care, she didn't think about medicine. She thought about the church. I've got to reach the church. Because she, what? She discerned the power in the body of Christ. It wasn't me, it was the church collectively was behind her. And the power that God invested in the church was brought to bear on that situation. And that baby was born live. And we're standing there. I, I think all the blood drained out of my face when I looked over there. And I thought, this woman, it was her 37th birthday that day. This woman is the answer to a, to a prayer that we prayed 37 years ago that I haven't known anything about. Do you see the power? That wasn't Larry. That was the church. You understand what I'm saying? That was the power of the church. This woman said, I've got to reach the church because my church is where God has invested himself and his spirit. We don't, we've got to discern the body of Christ. Now, let me, I want to start. I want, we're going to get your communion elements. We're going to take communion together. But let me show you. I'm going to use our imagination a little bit and show you what Jesus would have done, what I believe Jesus would have done. When Jesus took the cup and the bread, he didn't take the little piece of bread, broken bread that we use. It was the Jewish Passover. So he would have taken this. He would have taken a loaf of matzah. And this is Jewish matzah. And he, and he would have taken that. And in my imagination, I hear him saying, Guys, this is my body. See, it's whole. It's not broken. 
It's whole. It's complete. There's no problem with it. It's perfect. It's whole. This is my body. Now, the reason he would do that is because he was, he had no sin. Jesus had no sin. So sickness would have no place to live in him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's no root, so there would be no fruit. There's no root of sin, so there would be no fruit of sickness. He took this and he said, this is, this is my body. Then he broke it. And he said, it's broken for you. I'm breaking it for you. And he's prophesying after the cross, this is my body. And this is my body. And this is my body. And this is my body. It's being broken for you. Because I am going to become this so you can become this. I'm taking your brokenness so you can take my wholeness. How did he do that? Psalms 103 says that he forgives all of my iniquities and heals. Psalms, Psalms 103, 3, and, and heals all my diseases. He gives me the root and he gives me the fruit. And when I take the root, I get the fruit. Well, then why aren't we all healed? We have a covenant with God. Because we're not discerning our covenant. We're not discerning what this is, what the cross is, what the church is. And we've allowed ourselves to be robbed by our lack of understanding. We've allowed ourselves to be robbed of many of the blessings of God. See, in the, in the first century church, every, they had communion every service. The Bible says they went from house to house daily. And they were doing four things. They were fellowshipping. They were praying. And they were, and they were studying the apostles' doctrine. And they were breaking bread from house to house every day with gladness that's right with gladness because gladness is part of it that's the attitude you're supposed to have thank you for that and there and so Jesus presented himself whole and then and then in the and then three days later he was broken well he was resurrecting the next day he was broken on that cross and the sickness of all humanity from the ages was pouring in on him. When Jesus took the cup, remember that he had a talk with the Father about the cup. He had three talks with the Father about this cup. He said, Father, if it could be your will, let this cup pass from me. What's he talking about? What, why, why should he want this cup to pass from him? No, there are two cups in the covenant. There are two cups. If two people are making covenant, they, they take a, they, they take a, a uh, if Brother Gabe and I are making covenant together and we're wanting to uh, kind of bring our stuff together and combine and become a corporation or something, you know, bind our, our goods together. Then we say, okay, here's the deal, brother. Now, now, if you, now then he says, now we're going to drink on that. But first of all, Brother Larry, if you break that covenant, then it, this is going to happen to you. I'm going to do this to you. God's going to do this to you. This is going to happen to you. This, And he lays out all of the curses he can think of and says, all of these curses are going to fall on your head if you break this covenant. And then he says, do you drink to that? That's the cup of curses. And I say, I drink to that. He drinks to that. I see, I lay mine on him too. I just, I just say that I'm rubber, you're glue. 
bounces off me and sticks on me. <laughs> but that's, but, and then, then we say, okay, now, if you are faithful to your covenant, then God is going to do this for you, and he's going to bless you with this, and he's going to do that for you, and everything is going to, there's going to be sunshine and roses in your life. He pours those blessings on me, and I'm saying, boy, this is great stuff, you know, and then I pour the blessings out on him, and then we take the second cup, it's a cup of blessing, and then we drink the cup of blessings. See, the cup Jesus was dreading was not the cup of blessings, it was the cup of cursings. He became the curse for us. First Corinthians, first, uh, no, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 13. He became a curse for us. He drank the curse and gave us the blessing. We only got one cup. We got the cup of blessings. He took the curse. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He took the curse on him. The Bible says, blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. Blessed is the person who God will never consider worthy of a curse because Jesus took the curse. Not because you're so good, because Jesus took the curse. Now, we're going to take communion together, right? All right, so I want you to take, take the, the bread. Now, now if, you, if, if, you're, if you're thinking, I need to take communion more often, remember Matthew 26, 26, that'll give instructions how to do it. And you can do it on your Jane and I take communion all, almost every day. I've taken communion more than once a day. If there's a, if there's a problem I'm dealing with in physical because healing is, healing is, is the Bible says that when we, we eat or drink in an unworthy manner, we're bringing judgment on ourselves. So when we eat or drink in a worthy manner, now that we understand, if we eat or drink, we're drink, eating and drinking what? Health. Healing to ourselves. Have you noticed the Italian people who are who are, I don't know if they're the inventors of wine, but they 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 uh, wine is a big deal in the Italian culture. Have you noticed that when they that when they when they toast each other, they say the word salute. You know what salute means? What's well, what you do in the military? No, salute is Italian for health. In the Spanish, you say salud with a D. In Italian, you say salute. That's they're, so they're saying so toast that when they're toasting they're, go, they're, they're going all the way back to Bible covenants and they're saying I'm drinking to your health and to my health it's, they're drinking the cup of blessings when you take these elements the Bible, Jesus said this he said, he said as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me because you show forth when you, do, when you do this, you show forth. He said, you show forth in one version. In other words, version, he said, you proclaim. You proclaim, the, you proclaim my death until I come. What does that mean, you show forth or proclaim? The word show forth or proclaim, the, the, the Greek word show forth or proclaim is translated to the English word promulgate. Promulgate is a legal term that means that when you it means to it means to invoke a law by public proclamation when the president signs an executive order and when his signature goes on that order immediately that becomes the law he has just promulgated that law it immediately becomes the law and the Department of Justice and the FBI, everything down to the local, the local police department gets behind that 
and enforces that because it has become the law of the land. When you take communion, Jesus said, as often as you take communion, you are promulgating the law that says, the broken body says, I am healed. The shed blood says, I am righteous. You're putting into effect the law. Therefore, legally, you are healed the moment you take this bread. You're promulgating a law. You're saying, the law says, and so I'm taking this bread, which represents a broken body of Christ on the cross, which describes a power in the church. Therefore, I am healed. And it's illegal for sickness to come into my body. Father, in Jesus' name, we give you thanks for this, for this bread. We bless this bread, Lord. The Greek word is eulogio. That means to eulogize, to say something good about somebody after death. Lord, we say that this bread is the body of Christ. That's how we eulogize this bread. We bless it by saying this is the body of Christ. I know it doesn't change some substance, Lord, but when I take this, I am taking the body of Christ. I am promulgating the law that says I am healed. I am not sick. I am not weak. I am not dying premature because I discern the beauty of the body of Christ. In Jesus' name. Then he took the cup. But the cup, he didn't bless the cup. He gave thanks for it. It didn't need blessing as the perfect blood of Jesus. He gave us his broken body for our healing. He gave us his shed blood for our righteousness. The word, the word uh, uh, thank, the word when he says he gave thanks, that's the word eulogio. That's the word that, that no, no, he said that that was the word done. Anyway, that meant that this, that was, that was had to do with giving thanks, Eucharistia. So, the, so Eucharist, Eucharistia is the, means to give thanks. And so he, he, he eulogioed the bread and the Eucharistia of the cup, gave thanks for it. Lord, we give you thanks for the shed blood. And Lord, when I drink this drink, I am proclaiming to the world that I am righteous with the righteousness of Jesus. Because Jesus, you gave me your righteous blood, saying you received my unrighteousness in Jesus' name. 